everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have two special guests. <laughs> we have our friend Aaron here. Aaron, can you say hey real quick and tell everyone where you are? <laughs> uh, so I run a booktube channel. So where I am online or where I am Where physically. they can find you, yeah. <laughs> tell them your booktube channel. Okay. Okay, so I am half of a booktube channel called The Book Brood, and I run that with my spouse, Lane. We read very different things, so you'll get a a mix of stuff. I primarily read romance right now, but I did go through a big sci-fi moment for, well, most of my life up until reading romance. And then Lane reads a lot of more literary things like that. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter and everything like that. You have to follow him on Twitter, listeners. <laughs> and yes. he's joining yes. us today because you've been reading a lot of heartwarming. And we have author Kim Finley hanging out with us today. <laughs> Welcome yes. to the podcast, man. Hey, everybody. Um, tell us how 2021 has been for you. It's been interesting. My life is a little different because we live on a catamaran in the Carib- Caribbean. And we started 2021 in St. Martin. And last month we came down to Bonaire because we were trying to get out of the hurricane area. Normally we would visit a bunch of islands along the way, but because of COVID and testing and restrictions, we did a a straight 60 plus hour shot where we hit a whale on the way down, which was unexpected, but. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess you could say that's what 2021 is like. You think you know what you're doing and then you hit a whale. (laughs) That's the most surprising answer to that question I think we've had. So, no one has hit a whale, out. you know, so far when we, since we've been asking. Not a lot of cruisers do either. It's, it's, the odds are against it and yet it happened. Well, Aaron, Sarah, y'all want to get us into some icebreakers? Absolutely. I will start of off. What inspired the decision to live on a boat at sea? And what is one lesson you've learned from the experience of it so far? Okay, um, sailing is not my dream. It's my husband's. When he gets a hobby, he goes all out. You know, it was like 10, 11 years ago, we, he started sailing. We, you know, he bought a boat on eBay at the end of the summer and suddenly we're boat owners. When he was just in a place where he was able, uh, and you know, career-wise to take off and he he came to me running my little accounting business at home with this carrot that if we were off on a sailboat, I could close up the accounting business and write. I was interested, but we took a test year at first. We had a monohull at the time, uh, more of a racy one that wasn't really designed for cruising, but we took off. We didn't sell the house. Our my, our kids are young men, middle 20s now, so they stayed at the house with the dog. We took the boat down. And I always tell people we had four possible outcomes. One, there would not still be two people on the boat when we hit the coast. <laughs> you know, it's 24-7 in a small space. Second, uh, we could hate it. Three, we could like it, but one year is enough. And then we just take the boat back. Or fourth, we would really like it. And so by we left in August of 2018. By April, we sold that boat, flew home, spent seven weeks getting the house ready, sold it, bought this catamaran, and by the beginning of September, Charlie, the dog, and I flew down to meet my husband in Panama, which is where we bought this boat. And this has been our home ever since. That is so cool because, okay, Sarah and Aaron, y'all do YouTube. Y'all know on YouTube, like, 
that van life craze is crazy. And I'm like, but Kim Finley literally mm-hmm. lives on a boat, <laughs> which is like van mm-hmm. life to the extreme. <laughs> there are a lot of channels on YouTube that have been doing this and they've inspired a lot of people. And I think they helped inspire my husband. I, I, I don't watch them, but yeah, they got my husband going and, That's and here we are. Yeah, I was telling her before we started that my ex-manager is doing the same thing. The difference is, though, is that they're spending the first three years being docked in Lake Ontario, including the winter. And I just think that's a test of wills to do a Canadian winter on a boat. (laughs) I've I've seen boats doing that, and I was never tempted. Yeah, no. (laughs) We actually, when we we left Ontario, we, we went across Lake Ontario to Oswego and through the canals. And even though it was just after Labor Day weekend that we headed south about, I mean, the weekend we were trying to take down the sails and get the masts down to go through the all the locks, it was like 100 plus degrees. Wow. It was horrible. Within a week or so, we were pulled up. I think it might have been in Rome. And we woke up in the morning and it was only seven degrees Celsius and there was like frost on the deck. Oh, my goodness. And that was not fun. And then, you know, a week later, it's 100 again. So we, we went through a bit of that. Down here, we, we miss the cold altogether. <laughs> Very nice. Living the dream. <laughs> All right. So next one. Uh, in your exploration uh, on your sailboat, what for you is the place that best describes paradise that you've found so far? That is difficult to answer because it, there's variations on paradise. Where we are right now in Bonaire, when it comes to like the water, uh, it is an incredible color. It's a marine park all around the island for snorkeling and diving. I, I, there's hardly any place better. If you want beaches, St. Martin is awesome. It has like 35 beaches around there, and they're beautiful beaches. St. Martin is also very good for provisioning, which is something you know most people aren't really worried about, but it's a tax-free island, so you can get stuff there. Martinique, it's just got its own flavor Grenada is a little sleepier, but they were really nice about opening up to cruisers last summer with, when COVID was really bad. Uh, the little Laissant, the south end of Guadeloupe, is like this little French village in the middle of the Caribbean. And we like Puerto Rico and uh, Antigua. Every island has its own flavor. So like if somebody was to ask me, what is the place to go? I would say, you know, tell me what you want to do because each place has its own flavor. It's a little different. And if you want a beach life, if you want to be active, like Dominica, if you like to be active and very eco, it's really known for that. Not a great place to provision, but we did have fun. We went up the little creek that takes you to where they did some of the shooting for Pirates of the Caribbean. And Bocas in Panama was awesome. There was a beach we got to sort of back the boat in and tie it off to a tree. So, you you know, we were like 15 feet off the beach. And and since everybody left the beach, all the businesses and tourists by like five o'clock, it was just the boaters there. There's a lot of paradise. Um, (laughs) Tell me what you want and I can tell you where we've been that fits it best so far. That is amazing. Oh, jealous. Yeah, well, we've had the heads back up a couple of times. You would not be jealous about that. Something's always going on about it. My husband has to work a lot at fixing. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Introvert. My mom always complains that she visits and after three days I, I start to, I left up people or for dinner, but you know, then I'm starting to like, yeah, you can go now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
here's the door. You can uh, yeah, start um, scooting towards it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can only people so long before I have to recharge. So, yeah. But most people wouldn't guess that because I'm not shy. I'm just introverted. Uh, what is the one thing you can't cook and one dish you make fantastically? I think the dish that my family requests the most is a, is a homemade macaroni and cheese. I can't cook anything without a recipe. And my husband does. And actually, since we've been on the boat, he takes over making dinner. So, And he has made some awesome stuff. And he just watches some YouTube videos and gets an idea and goes for it. Uh, I have to have that recipe. I'm a recipe follower, mm -hmm. too. <laughs> Same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if there were now 25 hours in a day, how would you spend your extra hour? Probably writing. Possibly reading, but one of the okay. two. I had a lot of... Uh, I, I signed contracts for six books in 2020 and that was a little optimistic so yeah extra time to have got through that six. Awesome. i don't think we've heard a six book contract well it wasn't one contract it was uh, three books for harlequin one for serena bowen and two separate ones okay. for love inspired and it i mean you're yeah. not going to say no i can <laughs> no. see why you yeah. would need an extra hour but, um, in a day yeah, yeah my husband and i sort of had to come to you know it's like we're in paradise, and if I'm spending all my time just sitting in front of the computer, what's the point? So uh, not six books okay. a year again. So we love romance origin stories. How did you become a romance reader? I read anything. My sister swears I can't go buy a cereal box without reading it. So I've always been a reader. But when I was young, it was always anything with a horse on it. Like I read every book in our local library that had a horse on it. My dad limited me to five books a day. And then I think... What really got me into romance, a friend in high school had recommended George Ed Hayer. And once I started reading those, my Twitter handle. Uh, I was wondering. Is Hayer 74 okay. is. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've used Miss Hayer or Hayer, whichever way you pronounce it, uh, uh, you know, as a sort of name online. And I remember somebody once asked how to pronounce it. I'm like, I have no idea. I just read it. <laughs> but yeah, that was what really, really started me. Uh, yeah, her characters, her humor, and, and uh, I was hooked. You mentioned on your website that you participated in a writing camp called Camp uh, Gonna Be. And it was during this experience that you learned about conflict, which came in handy for the manuscript you were awaiting a response for. What were some of the things you learned about this very important part of crafting a romance novel? I, like, I have to think back because... I've learned a lot since then and got better at it. But I know from that first thing when I, I got a response from Harlequin that said, love your voice, love your characters, but it's episodic and that the conflict just isn't holding up in the last third. And I think a big part of it is that whole thing that if you could put two people in the room for 15 minutes and the conflict would be gone, it's not good conflict. Like okay. there has to be both the internal and the external and camp going to be was it, it was a Harlequin sort of forum that they, they don't have anymore, but there were other authors in there. I remember Mel Curtis was really great and helpful. And when RWA was on, they had this online camp for people to do stuff and, you know, who couldn't be there and like daily writing prompts and, and people would give advice and you could, you know, say stuff and get responses and stuff. And I think basically a conflict that's sustainable and isn't just a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And that was a big problem I had in that first manuscript, but fortunately yeah. it was fixed. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
In 2018, your hockey romance, Crossing the Goal Line, published under Harlequin's heartwarming line. What was your journey to becoming published like? I have been writing almost as long as reading. I can remember coming home from school and I had a little notebook that, you know, it was blank on the top and lines on the bottom. So this was, you know, lower elementary and drawing these horse pictures and writing stories underneath. And like, I was always making up stories. I'd play horses with my friends and I'd, you know, make up the whole story about what the horses were doing. So I, I do that all the time. I don't know what normal people do when they go to bed at night because I'm writing stories in my head. <laughs> it's just what I always do. But it seemed like not something that was kind of real, but there's um, a love inspired suspense author, Maggie Black, who went to my church and she started writing for, for LIS and like it became her job. And she was always really nice about posting whenever there were writing things going on. And they used to have the So You Think You Can Write thing. And I got into it one year when it was on Wattpad. And I was one of the 50 first chapters they picked, but then it, had, it was like people read it and would vote on it. And I'd never been on Wattpad before. And I'm, I'm blaming that for <laughs> But anyways, I started following and Heartwarming had a blitz. And I think they've stopped doing that, but they did that for a few years where you would turn in a chapter and a synopsis and they would get back to you within 30 days. And that's when I was asked they asked for a full manuscript and my biggest problem has always been focus. I have so many stories juggling in my head. Like I could bore you now with 20 stories I haven't published, but they're written up here. Mm-hmm. And then you start writing one and then it's like, Oh, but what about this one? And you write, I have fragments everywhere. So this was like focus, finish one. Somebody actually wants this one. And that, I think the, the, the blitz was in something like March. And so in, June, I took a week off work. I had my own business, so, you know, I could let myself off. And I went down to actually the boat we had at Highland Yacht Club for a week and stayed there because it's in Bluffers Park. I don't know if you, you're familiar with Bluffers yep. Park, but like yep. you without a car, there's nothing you can do down there, right? True. It's, it, you know, you've got that huge hill to get anywhere. So I had a week when I needed a, a to clear my head. The dog and I would walk around the boat clubs and back and I finished the manuscript and sent it in and waited and waited and finally nudged. It was Victoria Curran at the time who was uh, the, the editor I was dealing with. And she was like, you know, I haven't been answering because I'm not sure what to tell you. I like your characters. I like your voice, but like, it's just not, it, the conflict isn't working and I don't know what to tell you to fix it. So I, you know, brain got going the next day. I said, what if I changed it to, and she said, that sounds good. Send it in. And I think I got it to her in December and then I got a call, or I got an email that said, you know what, we don't have your phone number. And I'd followed enough of the call stories and, and with mm-hmm. other authors that they do not call you up to say, you know, this is so horrible. Please never send us another book. <laughs> <laughs> if they want to talk to you on the phone, it's good news. So uh, she said, it still needs revisions, but we'd like you to do it under contract. And then, because I knew these authors on the board, Mel Curtis is the one who said, you know what, give them your next best idea. Maybe you can get a two book deal. And so I took the one character, Troy, who was kind of a jerk in the first book. I thought, now, how could you make him into a hero and came up with a story? And that ended up being the the two hockey romances that came out in 2018. For any of our listeners who have yet to read a Harlequin Heartwarming, how would you describe that series to them? Heartwarming is like the longest, among the longest that they do, which means you're going to get 
like a little more depth to the story, a little more layers, um, you know, some like side characters and, and more than just the, the, two, the main couple. You're not going to have any sex or swearing. And if that's what you're looking for, I'm, it won't work. Um, but you, you know, it's something you don't, if you're past reading with kids or, or I don't know if, if that's something that you don't like. But on the other hand, it also does not have the Christian elements that are in the inspired series that, that some people like or do not like. I like the fact that it gives you enough room to tell the story because um, I've never had any problem making it long enough. I'm always having to rein myself in. It's like, no, no, we got to cut back. And one time with some edits, I was like, they were like, this would be a cute scene, expand it. And I'm like, I'm already like 3,000 words over the limit. I don't think I can expand this one. I mean, you, you, you can only have, let me, you only let me have so much. But it, it, I like the stories. Like I said, they're maybe a little more complex than in the shorter ones. They're set in North America. Small towns are small communities. You're not going to get sheiks and billionaires. And I cannot use really my experience in the boat because uh, that's not the uh -huh. setting they want. But you do get a nice sense of family or found family, a community. Then there's variety within that. I think that is a very unclear No, I think it's really story. clear. <laughs> No, I wish you could do like a boating community, though. <laughs> like, that would be so much. Right? I, I'm just picturing a small town with a marina and some guy lives yeah. on a boat on the marina. You know, oh, I have a story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of one like that, too, but have not um, had the time or the, you know, to develop or the place where that might want to read it. But yeah, you know, the, she's been estranged from her father. He leaves her the boat. Then there's the fireman, uh, you know, right across the, the, the dock that, you know, Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Love it already. Okay. I want to read it now. So, you, know. <laughs> you share on your website that you came up with the idea for your current heartwarming series, Cupid's Crossing, while attending the online annual Heartwarming Author Summit, which just sounds delightful. Can you share with us what from the summit inspired the series? One of the things that they do there is they have a couple of flashcards and they will talk about what they want and what they don't want. And I had submitted a, an idea for a series, but it involved rea a reality t TV element. And I did not realize that, no, they want nothing to do with that. <laughs> Every year it's on the card and I feel like putting up my hand saying, I get it. I get it. I, I, you know, you're not doing that. They wanted small towns that weren't on the coast. And like they, they do like some Western, but I have no experience in, in like cowboys are just sort of not my thing. So small towns, holiday related. They like, you know, when it's centered around uh, one of the holidays and something not too angsty. And I don't know, it, it's like you put in these little things in my head and then, you know, my brain combines them and comes up with this idea of a small town that they're, you know, they've lost their business. They're trying to come up with a new business. And so the town matriarch decides, well, what if we made it a center for romance? Or she's thinking weddings, but uh, it ends mm -hmm. up becoming a romance center. And then I came up with these three books that are all involved with putting everything together to get that up and going. I don't always know how my brain works. <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder why they didn't yeah. want stories. Because now I'm like, well, we can't get our boating community if they don't want stories that are like necessary. No, I think the thing is there had been a lot that are set in okay. coastal towns. Yeah. Um, other mm -hmm. other authors had done that and they wanted something Okay, kind of phasing it out a little bit. So, okay, yeah, just, you know, they also, they didn't want any more cupcake bakeries. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, or yeah. there, there was just a couple of careers that they're thinking, you know, we've kind of, we've had a lot of those, we'd like yeah. something different. Yeah. So it's not, you know, uh, it wasn't that they didn't like anything coastal, it's just they've, they've had a bunch, let's try, try some new, new. Something some new different places. Book one in the series, A Valentine's Proposal, is the romance between Mariah and Nelson, which has a fake, a fun fake relationship plot for the purpose of a fake proposal to come and swoonworthy practice kissing. Can you take us through the writing <laughs> of book one? Well, um, yeah, I came up with the idea of, you know, you want two people who are opposites. So, um, and I like this, I the, like the idea of Abigail and her college beau sort of being a romance that, that goes through the, the, the three books in the series. And I'm trying to, I, I know I had, I can't remember how I came, but I, uh, the idea that, you know, his granddaughter comes to help set things up. She's a wedding planner. And then you have somebody's opposed to weddings. And I had initially thought that, okay, her, her grandson, the vet had been engaged and his bride had been a bridezilla. And my editor, Adrian came back and said, well, what if you switched up? And he was the one who had, you know, gone overboard. And I really liked that, that extra layer and the whole idea that, you know, He's kind of holding himself back because he doesn't want to be that guy anymore. And the fact that it, that the wedding, he got caught up in it means that like he's, he's that opposed to it for that kind of reason. Cause he knows what it can do to people. Not, not just that he suffered from it, but that he actually became it. And yeah, the fake, I don't know. I, I guess I like the fake relationships. Yeah. I, I, I just kind of, you know, they have to pretend, you know, you, you need forced proximity and that does it. Mm-hmm. So book two in the series, A Fourth of July Proposal, is between former bad boy Riker and the town's nice girl, Rachel. And I have to say first, before I get into the question, I loved that you explored the nice girl with Rachel because that I have lived that <laughs> experience and like, you can't live it down. I mean, and people like hold it against you. And I was like, I just, I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> you were like people expected me not to be able to do my job because you're too nice and like I just I really resonated with her but there are two people whose <laughs> paths cross after many years and when they find each other again they both want to be viewed differently Riker is no longer the bad boy and Rachel no longer wants to be the nice girl so how did their particular story come to you I have to say that like this is the one I look forward to I like best you know sort of the idea of redemption and I was always the good girl growing up my I, I my husband and I um were both from a small town but we met after I'd finished college because if we had met in high school you know our town had two high schools we were in different ones we'd have hated each other because I was the good girl he was the opposite so maybe there's a bit of that but I just the idea of somebody who's nice and it's not that she's going to become a bad girl like this is not the end of Greece where she's putting on leather and smoking and stuff yeah yeah, but just the idea that she has to learn to value herself and stand up for herself a little bit. And that, you know, Riker comes back and he's done this stuff, but he's not the same guy, but he's still viewed through that lens. And what can he do to change it? And that maybe he wants to be known that way more than he'll he'll admit to. And, and you know, this whole idea of like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not good for her and self-sacrificing and, you know, that, that whole idea. But how do you get, you know, sort of shake the person up and say, maybe you are, you know, so mm -hmm. it was just how I was looking at that, the idea that, and also 
the first date my husband picked me up, it was on his motorcycle. Okay. And I had no idea. Good girl, me. I was wearing white pants. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily and... motorcycle appropriate here. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. And he's always liked motorcycles. But when I was pregnant with our eldest, he stopped riding because there is a lot of danger involved. And mm -hmm. he said, kids need a dad. And actually, before sailing, he had taken up motorcycling again and wanted me to do it. And I would get bored on the back of the seat. And I thought, well, I'll learn how. And so I did do a weekend course. Uh, it was a Mother's Day weekend up sort of where you were from, um, just north of the 401 going up the DVP. They, they had yep. this RTI training course. And all female instructors, all female students for that weekend. First day, it rained so much that even with my borrowed gear from my husband, like I was wet to my underwear by noon. <laughs> Sunday, Mother's Day morning, there was actually some snowflakes <laughs> in the air. It was, mm -hmm. it was something. But, you know, so I knew that whole learning the motorcycle and, and was able to bring that in. And then a week later, I was rear-ended coming home from a client's. The bike fell on my ankle, even though I was wearing boots. Um, and I had to pin, pin the, uh, the bone I wouldn't get on the bike again until my foot was finally in shape and the tendons all back to normal so I could put the boot on. And my husband swore he could see my knuckles through the gloves, you know, <laughs> riding this thing. I did get back on the horse. Mm -hmm. And then, but he knew I was not enjoying it. And then his friend took him sailing and our lives <laughs> took a different direction. But that whole motorcycle part, like I, I understand the sort of bad boy vibe of it, but also how somebody could, you know, for Rachel, like, this is like, oh, yeah. look, I, I'm so, I'm on a motorcycle. I'm not a nice girl. And I yeah. knew what that learning process was like. So it was something that I could bring in with some personal experience. That whole part was so, was so real because my family, when I was in my early 20s, well, everyone except my sister. So my, my father and mother and I all decided we were going to get our motorcycle endorsement and get motorcycles. And it was it was so fun to to go through that learning and everything and it was great to just relive that through through this book here it was it was so authentic <laughs> one oh, thing that you. i really like is i always because i mean i love small town romance we love the charm of it but i really like when you guys as authors kind of flip it Riker comes back to town with the best intentions and the small town life kind of goes against him because people still remember all the things that he did, you know, when he was a totally different person. And it's kind of painful to read. It's like, but he's yeah. a good guy. Give him a chance, you know? My husband's proofreading it, proofreading it and he keeps saying, boy, these people yes. are gossips. <laughs> I love seeing that flip. So can you talk a little bit about yeah. writing small town romance? Like, what do you enjoy writing mm -hmm. about it? My sister married a dairy farmer who lives outside a town of like about a thousand people. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of Athens, Ontario. Um, no. Original name, Farmersville. You know, okay. very imaginative. <laughs> I grew up in Brockville, which is, you know, 20,000, but still not a huge town. It's just, you can sort of, I my grandparents grew up in a small town, so I kind of know them even though... Uh, most of my adult life, I was in Winnipeg or Toronto, so uh, bigger towns. But you, they're a little more contained, and then you can have people running into each other a little more realistically than, like, in Toronto, if you keep bumping into somebody, you start to wonder about it. Um, but, like, the, the first two books I wrote, 
were in Toronto, but it was set in the hockey team, which is like its own small community. Sure. So um, I guess it's just, we live in a small community, no matter whether we're in a big city or a small town, right? If we don't know everybody, we have our little thing and, and heartwarming likes the small towns and it, it, it makes a nice framework. And, you know, you can make up all these quirks because every place has their quirks, but maybe small towns are quirkier since they're a little isolated. Did you know <laughs> Heartwarming was the series that you, like your stories, That was that yeah. what you were writing to? For that first one, it was kind of like, yeah, it did sort of happen. I, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to write for, but it is easier for me to write this slightly uh, larger word count to put it because I, I just I get people talking in these side secondary characters in and it just seems to fill things up mm-hmm. and uh, especially writing sex scenes was like a little daunting so starting out where you could really focus on the story instead was kind of nice and I think it's a good way to start because then you have to really have a story that that brings people in and you learn like the the, the relationship and then if you add you know the the spicier stuff after as long mm-hmm. you you still have that core of knowing how to tell a story and, a, and an emotional connection between people that i think like i'm not saying they don't have that when they're spicy and and some really good ones do but it may be easier to lose track of it if that's how you start mm-hmm. out for me it was i think mm-hmm. so when reading your cupid's crossing books and communicating with you over twitter it felt like little pieces of you end up in your heroines do people close to you in life also get put into the hero and side characters? My husband will tell you every single hero in those books is like him. <laughs> he says this. <laughs> and I don't think I deliberately try to do that. But when you're trying to make a character, like you draw on what you know and what mm-hmm. you know are the people around you. And like I said, my husband was uh, kind of a, a bad boy growing up. So but he was never a veterinarian. But I think what you do is you you have to draw from what you know and what you know are the people around you. But no, I don't, I never deliberately try to recreate somebody. But I think when you're making this stuff in your brain, your brain only has so many things to call on. So it's mm-hmm. it's going to call on some of the people you know. Sorry, folks. It's <laughs> <laughs> not purpose. <laughs> According to Fiction Database, the third book in the series, A New Year's Proposal, is scheduled to release January 2022. Is there anything you can share with us about it? I think so. They've already got the blurb up. So it's obviously continuing with everybody that you already know. And in this one, the heroine is Andy, who was roped into being a bridesmaid kind of last minute for uh, JC's wedding. There's a bit of that in book two with uh, Rachel. And in this case, we learn about Andy. Uh, She was the eldest of five in a family, and her dad ran the local construction company. And when he died suddenly, she was about to go to college, and she put that off so that she could keep running the the company to support her her family. So she has been in Carter's Crossing, now Cupid's Crossing, waiting for her chance to go until, like, all her siblings were done. And she's sort of on that point when the big project comes up with the mill. 
And so she's going to stick around for that. But as a young woman who took over in a construction, you know, a business that's very masculine focused, she has had it up to here with things like mansplaining. <laughs> the hero in this story is the architect who comes. He's had his own problems on, he, you know, went through all the work, uh, sort of apprentice, the, the kind of thing they do and started his own firm on his first big job in New York City, a contractor and owner cut some corners. There was an accident on site. He actually now has a prosthetic leg as a result of that. So he was in hospital that he was blamed for it all. He finally cleared his name, but you know, his reputation took a hit. So he's taking this job in a small town to try to reclaim it. So he is not going to trust his contractor. So, you know, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't want the mansplaining and he's going to keep a close eye in there. So they have a bit of a conflict, but they actually have a meeting before they knew who each other are and, and it goes well. And then they run into each other, you know, at work where they find out that uh, it's going to end up a little more adversarial than um, they had hoped. And so this book, um, their meeting takes it, it, they first meet on a new year's Eve and the book sort of ends at the following year's Eve. So this one takes place over the year. And Mm so a lot of what, happens in the first two books has been happening in the time that this story was written which meant I really had to I really had to like oops wait a sec I don't have an open timeline here because these things happened and I have to make sure and then I uh, an actual architect uh spoke to me and sometimes like oh that takes that much time does it okay (laughs) let's think this over again and it's like sorry Grant I know some of it's still not right but you know I I I should have maybe done research earlier, but when I first came up with this idea, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll learn about the architecture part later. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's the story. And it, yeah, it starts, um, it starts during a Valentine's proposal, goes through the whole val- uh, 4th of July proposal. And, and our architect is actually at the wedding with Andy that happens on the 4th of July and then goes on past that till when the, the um, mill is finished and another couple gets married before the end of the book. That is so cool. That sounds like a lot of work. I love it. (laughs) I mean, we know of interconnected (laughs) series, but like this is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And, and this was the signed a whole bunch of contracts in one year. So um, this is actually the first, this third book in Cupid's Crossing was the first time I did not meet my deadline, I said, I can give you something, you know, on this date, but if you give me two more weeks, I can actually give you a better version of it. I, I do a first draft that's usually about 10,000 words short of where it should be. And I just, cause I'm so eager to get done. I forget, you know, move people around and, and add expressions and whatever. And so, you know, I go over it a whole bunch of times, keep reading through it and, and making it hopefully mm-hmm. better. <laughs> um, let's chat out of the ashes which is your love-inspired cold case debut. So congratulations. Yes. How did writing for this series come to be? Are we going to, is it going to be a new series that we can expect tons of titles from or what? This one kind of happened by accident. Okay. We love accidents. So you think you can write site, which I think now is right for Harlequin instead, but Mm -hmm. they used to do once a month, maybe, they'd have a little writing prompt. And if you would do it, and they had to start limiting people to 400 words because they'd say three paragraphs and there'd be like a chapter there. But they would come up with something, a scene or a start. And 
you'd write it and sometimes they would pick their favorite three. Sometimes they just give everybody some feedback on it and other people doing it would give, I just spent a lot of fun. And when they were starting this limited series they were going to do for Love Inspired Suspense for Cold Case and Mountain Rescue, they had one of those writing prompts. And I came up with this idea, imagine you've got somebody who's come to a small town, you know, to try to make their life easier. They're the sheriff. And I wanted to flip things up a bit. So that's her. And a guy walks in and says, I'm out of prison now. I'm sober. You're going to see me in church, but I'm going to find out who set the fire that killed my family. I hope that's not a problem for you. Yeah. And he walks out. And she's like, <laughs> <Yes>. what? <laughs> so this was the, this is what I came up with for the prompt. And I think, I don't think it was even one of the, the top three they picked or whatever. But then my editor, Adrian, was on maternity leave and Joanna was filling in for her and she tweeted that you know they're looking for cold casings and I thought well hey I had this idea and I know Joanna so I just said hey I have this setup what do you think should I try to do something she says I was hoping for a wrongful conviction one yeah send me a chapter and a synopsis and if you could put in a dog that would oh, be yeah, great oh yeah the dog is he's something else <laughs> yeah that's this, yeah. wonderful <laughs> so I sent it in and she you know she had some things on the synopsis so I adjusted that and then it was like okay here is here's a contract. And that's sort of how by accident I came up with Out of the Ashes. And, and honestly, of all the books I've got, I'd say that Riker and Lanford are probably the characters that are most alike. Oh, They're coming right out <laughs> about the same time. <laughs> so you wrote this book under a pen name. Love Inspired is very careful about their brand. And, um, you know, people who come to Love Inspired have certain expectations. And I had written another book that Love Inspired would not be comfortable with. So I came up with this pen name so that, um, you know, I can have somewhat spicier stuff that people are still okay, okay. with under Kim Finley. But under Anne Galbraith, you're, you're going to have okay. Christian books. Okay. Interesting. The book is a romance between the new sheriff in town, Sarah Winfrey, and recently released from prison, Lanford Davies, who is seeking justice for his family. Where did the idea for the romance between these two come from? And what do you hope readers take away from reading it? Again, it was that writing prompt that mm -hmm. triggered it. But I think um, forgiveness, I think, is, a, is an important thing. And Lanford is in a position where he has a lot that he could rightfully be upset about. And, and one of the things that I wanted was that he's not looking for personal revenge. Like he's, he's dealt with a, something crappy happened. But he also knows that he was in a position where it was kind of inevitable. And he just he just sort of wants justice and that, we, you know, to find out the real person who did this. And I guess in a way, Sarah is kind of dealing with it, too, because she had a situation back in Pittsburgh. It's said in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania has third degree murder. And when I was trying to come up with the right amount of prison time to match the setup I had, um, <laughs> You know, if it was first degree murder, he wasn't going to be out. And, and if it was, you know, self-defense or something, he'd have been out long before, which is really maybe a kind of strange way to be looking at this. But yeah, so uh, that's why Pennsylvania, a friend of mine that I worked with back in Canada was a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So, OK, let's put her in Pittsburgh instead of Philadelphia. <laughs> and uh, so she anyway, she had come in a situation where she had done the right thing, but people thought it was wrong. And she was having to sort of decide, was she right or was she not? 
And I will tell you, this was a little tricky because I was writing this during all the, um, you know, when all the stuff was going on with the U.S. with the with uh, after Floyd George and, and you know the Black yes. Lives Matter, and and that little scene where the kids are protesting. I put that in and said to the others, you know, I don't know if you're going to keep this, but I just felt like I had to do something, and you don't want to slam everybody in the police department, and especially in Love Inspired, they were not going to do that. But just to know that. It's not a perfect institution and, you know, just a little, a little bit of, you know, that, um, anyways, so I didn't say what the kids were protesting, but, uh, they did it and she was actually going to be open to it. And unlike the, the neighbor who thought she should arrest them all. So one thing <laughs> that we talk about all the time is when you're writing romantic suspense, can you talk about trying like balancing the romance with the suspense. And then for this line in particular, you mm -hmm. have to also have the faith-based element. So I feel like you have three kind of, yeah. like, think, yeah. You're juggling a lot. A lot. about that? Yeah, it, I find this hard. And I actually have another love-inspired suspense coming out at the end of September. Ooh. And it's one I had been trying to write, but I have a really hard time. Like the romance is what I, and is okay, I get that. But adding that suspense and like the cold case was so much easier for me because like they're solving a mystery. And I used to love, uh, I always used to love reading the cozy mysteries. I could never think of a mystery plot to save my life. So, you know, that, that, that was a stretch. But this one, like I was sort of the puzzle, a more like a cozy mystery. So that was a bit more comfortable. And I think in, the hard part, I think maybe is when you have that mystery or puzzle part, how do you make sure there's enough time for the romance? And um, because I'm a Christian, I grew up Christian, the faith-based part was kind of easy for me. It's like, yeah, these are just, you know, I, I, I know this. Uh, and in this case, the mystery is kind of nice because it's what brought them together. Like you have to have the people come together. And these are two people that would not normally have spent a lot of time together. But in this case, because it's a mystery, because she doesn't have a lot else she has to do in this little town, they were able to work on that. But I will tell you, the other one that's coming out is a is a regular love-inspired suspense where they have to be sort of in danger from the get-go. And that was difficult for me. But living in Toronto, just so you know, it is mostly Toronto-based. These people are running around on the subway, the streetcars, a Raptors game, Eaton Centre. <laughs> like, this is... I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, it's planes, trains, and automobiles kind of set in Toronto where for reasons they can't they can't trust the police even though he mm -hmm. is a police officer and there's also the bad guys after them and they're they're just on the run in February mm -hmm. in a cold snap in Toronto just to, you know, make life interesting. <laughs> I it, it is pretty hard to do that because it seems to, you know, I want to focus on the people and getting together. Mm -hmm. But for Love and Sired Suspense, you have to do that. And I'm trying to work on another one with a friend who lives in Arizona. And because there's a lot of natural dangers we can oh, add to yeah. as well as bad ones. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. Ooh. I love it. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you sit down and begin working on your current work in progress. Set the scene for us. So early bird or night owl, what time of day do you feel most productive with writing? Since I've been on the boat, it's daytime. Um, when I was writing around working, it was whenever I could get time. So evenings, weekends, um, you know, working around kids, family commitments and stuff, but I am not a night owl. I 
if I sleep in past eight o'clock in the morning, I have a headache and feel horrible all day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so fortunate now that I can sort of write mostly in the nine to five thing. Not, not always and not all of it. I, I, that I, one time for this thing on Wattpad got a date wrong and had to finish a story. I wrote 30,000 words in a weekend and I got sick after like my brain just starts to hurt if I have to do too much, but having, being able to put most of it in that time is, is, is good. And then I have recharge time in the evenings. Mm -hmm. So when I, a year ago at Christmas time or last Christmas time, when I had, I had the rough draft of the one LI or the, the first draft of the LIS to turn in and edits on three others all happening within like about a three week period due. I was working evening weekends anytime I was awake. It wasn't good. Are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm a pantser. Totally. One of these days I'm going to do a spreadsheet with all the names I've used for characters. So I don't <laughs> use them, but it's never ha- it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but I sort of pants myself into a bit of plotting because my brain takes off a whole lot faster than I can write. And when I have time to write, so I, I'm going ahead writing the story in my head and I end up with the outline of the story. So it's like I, I have the sort of rough A to B and I know where they're going along the way. But when I first start, uh, it's like, here's these characters, here's the situation, let's see what happens. And one thing with Harlequin and other places, when you're turning a proposal, they want that synopsis so they have some idea what's actually <laughs> happening. But as far as I have a, a writing group and I mean, with chapter outlines and exactly what's going to happen in each chapter. I don't even separate into chapters to like the second, third or fourth draft. I mean, I'm I'm just doing the story. And then then it's once the story's done, then it's like, okay, we have to break this up. We can't just have one long (laughs) blurb there. Um, So then I go back and it's like, okay, you need, you know, you can't go 10,000 words. So you sort of, somewhere in that 3,500, 5,000 word range, where's a good spot to, to end mm-hmm. off and then go again. It was a little different with the uh, the cold case book. I basically, every chapter was ended up sort of being a his, her viewpoint. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. It just sort of seemed to work that way as an even break. Maybe that was the puzzle solving thing that made it more that way. Because normally, yeah, I'm not that organized. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before beginning? I'd like to, but then I end up reading and not having enough time to actually write. (laughs) If it's something I'm really into, then I can just pick up the next day because I I tend to write like maybe up to 3,000 words in a day. And then I have to think about where it's going. Mm -hmm. And then I think about that and then I get back to where I am. And then once it's all together, and I start going through it again. Then I start finding those points. It's like, okay, you sp- said that two or three times before. <laughs> We've got the point. Maybe you can get rid of one of these. And if I miss it, the <laughs> editors catch it. But when I'm, I found with revisions to try to keep going, um, what I started doing was I would read the last chapter of the previous day's thing. So I'm sort of in there, sort of get an idea of how it's connecting. So it's not like just chunks that I'm trying to, sh- you know, to try to smooth it. Like, I love to go back and reread it, but then, you know, once you're starting to get near the end of the book, yeah. that's a lot to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend two or three hours reading, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> sorry, no more time to write now. Your yeah. way of just like <laughs> writing it and then going back and breaking it up into chapters. Have you always done that? Yeah, I think so. I One thing, what I'm doing a proposal, especially for Harlequin, they want the first three chapters. So I know it has to be 
somewhere probably 7,500, 10,000 words, somewhere probably in around that amount. So once I get that first part, then I will, like, I'll do that into three chapters and polish it up. And then I've, you know, got the synopsis that I've got ahead and done for the rest. Um, but for, like, for Rachel and, and Andy's stories that in Cupid's Crossing, yeah, I just, it was probably third draft when it was like, okay, maybe we should break it into chapters so that I have a, you know, a better idea of, I can do this much and stop this much and stop. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, part of it too, again, I said like my first draft, I'm often 10,000 words short. I'm, I'm just anxious to get going each time and get done. And then as I'm reading it through, it's like, Oh, we have five pages of dialogue and nobody's moved. Okay. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> you know, might be nice if they did. Um, so it's until I get closer to that final word count, I don't want to do the chapter breaks because then I'm going to end up with, you know, like a 2000 word chapter and a 5000 word chapter. And I think that just is more difficult when you're reading, you know, if it's mm -hmm. clunky like that, like there's sometimes there's a purpose behind it, but not, yeah. not for mine. So are there any necessities you need around you while writing? I mean, I feel like you're in the perfect setting to just write. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> But there are challenges here too. Like I do not have, you know, I know some people, they have post-it notes and dream boards and whiteboards and all that stuff around them. Yeah. I don't have that because like there's no space for that. I've never been that kind of writer. So, so just as well, I don't have a place where my computer lives permanently. Like right now I'm on the, the table in the salon and this is where I do most of the writing. But sometimes I'm at the nav table. I've tried writing in the cockpit, but one of the things that I do is I'm jumping around to get out of the sun. Yeah. Because we have a hatches open if, you know, right here, we are in the sun and it's bright. And then I can't write on the screen. And not only does the sun move, but the boat <laughs> moves. Like I'm not, we're not at a dock normally. We're at an anchor or a mooring. And like right now we're facing south, but normally we're east here. So, so that means that the angle of the sun comes in at different times of the day changes. So I just have to find a place where there isn't sun and mm -hmm. where I can sit comfortably. So if I have you know, a table, a seat, and, and my computer, I can go. I have to be able to do that way. It, it is a beautiful setting, but it's not designed with an yeah. office type space. So <laughs> it's the place writers write about, not necessarily write in. Like if you had a little villa here or something, like if you weren't distracted too much by, by the stuff around you, but mm -hmm. on a boat, yeah, space is at a premium. And we're on this this lovely big catamaran, so there's more room. When we were on the monohull, mm -hmm. yeah, I had one place I wrote, but um, my computer had to go away because that's also where we ate, Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, spaces are multi-purpose on a boat. Do you set daily writing goals? And do you have any advice for someone unsure of how to figure out their daily writing goals? I think people write in different ways. And so what works for one person doesn't work for another. That's why you, you never want writing advice that says always do this or never do that. For me, when I'm doing that first draft, I can, I can probably come up with about 3,000 words in a couple of hours. But I've been thinking about it and stuff. And often, like with the six-book thing, it'd be like, yeah, I'd write new words on one thing and then I'm revising on another. When you have deadlines, you do have to do, you do, have to do that writing goal. When I was writing just for myself, hoping somebody would, would take it, 
I could do what I wanted. But yeah, it's like if you have a deadline, you have to know it takes me this much time. For example, I, I just signed a, another a contract with a different publisher and I'm supposed to have a book to them by the end of November. And I know I have to get a first draft of roughly 70, 75,000 words to them at that date. So I'm going, you know, if I do 3,000 words a day, five days a week, that's 15,000, you know, so like uh, five weeks, I could probably, mm -hmm. four or five weeks, I'd probably have that done. And then you need to let it sit for a couple of weeks. So then you come back with fresh eyes and realize that, oh, I thought I told everybody that, or, you know, I, you know, <laughs> stuff that's missing that is mm -hmm. totally clear in your head. I've had stuff where you send it off to a reader and they have questions and it's like, but of course, because of, oh, yeah, well, you didn't get that. <laughs> um, and then I, tr I, once it's in chapters, I try to revise maybe three chapters a day or five chapters a day, depending on if it's an early revision or a late. And I think part of it is figuring out how your brain works. And then like you do have to, you, you're going to have to do some word count, but perhaps what you need for some people, it might be that I need to do this many words a week. And I do a hundred words here and a thousand words here and 5,000, you know, if that works for you, I can do a pretty even amount every day that works for me. I think it out overnight, come down, write it, think, right. And I write fast. So I'm lucky that way. Some people don't. And the other thing too, is if you're a person who perfectionist as you go along, and I know there are people who do that, I, I'm not them. Like I just blurt it out there and then come back and polish it. And, but some people, basically their first draft is almost ready to turn in. So they could do a lower word count for a deadline because they have less time of revision. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's different ways you can find there. Maybe try a few and see what works for you or figure out how you write and then go from that, figure out how you have to schedule it to get it done. Like I, I just, my way isn't going to work for everybody. So it, it's just, but I will say one of the, that, that thing is it bit chalk or whatever, button chair, hands on keyboard. Like that is, it ends at the end of the day, you have to do a lot mm -hmm. of that. You have to sit there. You have to push out words, even if sometimes you don't think they're good, get them out there and then fix them up later. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. I'm sure he's like, oh, that's exactly the method I'll follow. But what works for me is not going to work for everybody. So yeah, find mm -hmm. out what works for you. I think that's excellent advice. Yeah. <laughs> so you log into your computer. Are there any specific programs you use to write? I'm really boring and I just use Word. That's um, fine. I have Scrivener and I know I have this, this writing group and like they swear by it, but th this is a, a, a plotter. I mean, she has each of her yeah. chapters and, and, and all this stuff. For me, uh, just a word, but I did take a course. And one thing that I learned is like, if you do a heading for your chapters, once you start doing that, then mm -hmm. you can have your navigation pane at the, at the left-hand side. So you have a way that it's sort of organized. So you can kind of okay. jump around if you need to. But for the way I write where I just blurt everything out onto a page and then just keep going through it un until it's better, Word works. Mm -hmm. um, I have a fairly good memory. So, so uh, you know, there's stuff that I remember that maybe Scrivener would help if you didn't. Um, maybe I could do better. I, I have tried on Scrivener and stuff. I just found that it took, I'm not really great at technical stuff and it was taking me longer to figure out how to do stuff than the writing. I'd That's rather it. just write. Mm -hmm. And for me, 
word works um mm-hmm. and it's it's really easy and it's yeah. low tech which is <laughs> i always like hearing word as the answer <laughs> As, as someone who's attempting to write, I do use Scrivener, but I am also a plotter to the extreme. So I know, like, I've got, like, color-coded on the side. I've got, you know, so I can see exactly what you're saying. For someone who does it one way, this might work. But, you know, I just find these questions fascinating to hear from an, uh, an actual writer. <laughs> there's, there's, well, there's almost as many answers to that question as there are yep. people who write. Again, yeah. something... It, it depends on what works for you. Like for me, if I, I'm a list person. So if I write down that, you know, my list that I'm going to write $3,000, 3,000 words on this thing and, you know, clean the galley and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I will do it just for the mm-hmm. thrill of being able to scratch it off my list. And <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody. So, yeah. you know, part of it is you have to figure out yourself. If there was some magic formula, you know, everybody be doing it. And exactly. And if it was my formula, I'd make a million, but it's, yeah, <laughs> I'm still here just plugging away on my computer on the boat. For go. any aspiring writers who may be listening, are there any writing craft books you've read or courses that you've taken that you would recommend they check out? I remember I have Stephen King's book on writing that my husband gave me one year and I have Romancing the Beats by is it oh, Glenn, yeah, Glenn Hayes, Hayes or Gwen yeah. Hayes, I think. And yes. I haven't finished reading that. My thing for me, I have just read, like I read and read and read. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had those beats figured out just from reading yeah. so many things. So, but I, I went to RWA and, you know, went to the seminars that, that I thought could help me and you can learn lots of stuff. So for some people, it depends on mm-hmm. what you need to learn. There are lots of books out there I haven't used a lot. My my thing has mostly been read every book out there and then, you know, yeah. write your own, which, mm-hmm. you know, only works if you've had a lot of time to read and, you know, some years to do it. So, yeah, I'm not really good for that question. No, I love I know I love that. I, I've heard wonderful things about Stephen King's book. I haven't read it. I have read the Gwen Hayes yeah. book, but. I mean, especially cat with category, one thing that we hear a lot is figure out, you know, which series your story may fit in and read a ton from that series. Read so it. I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't read a ton of heartwarming or love inspired suspense. So I am the, the exception yeah. that proves the rule for a lot of that. <laughs> but I think in some ways, maybe I bring something a little bit fresh because I don't have that familiar. I hope so. They, they you know, they yeah. signed me for those three books after the two hockey books. So, but yeah, if I, I oftentimes will see people on, on Facebook or something saying, well, you know, I have this and I'm not sure if it's this line or this line. And it's like, well, if nothing, you can just look on the submission yeah. page, you know, right? and it's like, uh, they'll tell you they want alpha heroes and exotic settings and this many words. And that answers a lot of the questions without even reading, just yeah. reading the guidelines. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, especially Harlequin, they are not going to be bending the rules for you. They have, I mean, they are big and established and people are expecting certain things. Yeah. So you can't just say, but I have this great story and, you know, it's a hundred thousand words, but it, it, you know, it's like, no, yeah, <laughs> they don't do that. Just, no. uh, you're not that yeah. special. You're not going to get a vampire in heartwarming. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
you're you're not going to sell it to us. No, <laughs> you're not going to get a vampire anywhere in Harlequin right. at the moment. Correct. But you go to Karina. <laughs> you go to Karina. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Some people. That's um, you do have some. You have to put in some work to figure out, you know, what the guidelines are and what they want, and and yep. uh, yep. for anything, yeah. Time for some round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Wow. Um, there's a lot that I, can I give you a list of maybe 50? There are books that I just love to reread and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and to read them again for the first time. I, I there's not one that springs to mind though, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there there's, a lot just the really good books it'd be fun even like after all these years to go back to the ones i read back in high school in my 20s yeah. and and for this perspective but again it would be a long list because yeah. i read a lot Fair. sorry <laughs> oh that's okay <laughs> who was your teenage celebrity crush there's one point where my friend and i were putting up pictures of donny osmond and david cassidy and i can't remember who had who but i do remember i had a big crush on hutch from starsky and hutch <laughs> i love it yeah that'll date me now i don't know how much this works on the boat but name one film you'll never stop watching i think the one i i have to watch every few years is pride and prejudice with okay. colin firth what is one hill you'll you will wholeheartedly die on do not put ketchup on macaroni and cheese. Thank and my you. My husband does all the time. It doesn't belong there. <laughs> I make like okay. One thing, if he's we've got craft dinner, I don't do that either. But when I make this homemade don't macaroni ruin and it cheese, with ketchup. You know, oh, wow. Sacrilege. <laughs> you get it all hot and melted cheese, and then somebody puts like cold ketchup on it. Oh my ketchup god, it's it? awful. Ketchup. But it's even just like. If you don't like the flavor of macaroni and cheese, you why know, are like you can do, it? why are you putting ketchup on it? Okay. <laughs> I love it. That's the first time we've heard that one. <laughs> I don't die on that many hills. What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? I think I like second chances and fake relationships and I like sports. Mm -hmm. And I think what I really like is when, I don't know what you call this trope, but you have this guy who is really cocky and used to get in his way and he runs into a woman who just says, yeah, I'm not yeah. impressed. Go away. <laughs> I like that. What's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? I really have a hard time with this because like, there's so many things I like, I don't want to write in a typewriter. I, I, there was a time when I was trying to do that. I love the computer. I, I love eBooks. You know, being able to have all sorts of books and not need all the space for them, and and yeah, I, I maybe part of it too is like, look where I am. What would I yeah. want to give up? Yeah, I am living on a sailboat in the Caribbean, writing romance novels. Like, <laughs> that's I a know. romance novel right there. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to sort of be me in my twenty-year-old body again, but other than that. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, that's fine. Oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Is there a category romance series you wish never went away? I guess I'd say heartwarming because I really i I like those stories. I like I like being able to spend the time. Yeah, I like them. Uh, tough love. 
What's been one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given? You know, my writing isn't perfect. Well, that was, <laughs> that would have been nice to hear, but it's not realistic. Um, I think maybe it was the conflict thing that you have to, and, and you know that I had this one story and I still like the story, but there isn't enough conflict. And it was one of the ones that I, when I had that first hockey story and I was sending in a second one, I had this third story too. And it was just like, there isn't enough conflict in it and it's just not going to work. And it's like, sometimes I guess you can have an idea and you really like it and there's some good stuff about it, but it's not going to fly. And you have to be willing mm -hmm. to say, okay, that one is just not going to do anything else. I guess it's been sort of, I get these notes on edits and they're like, Oh yeah, I, I, you're right about that. And I can see where that's better or mm -hmm. I kind of like that, but, that's me. Not everybody does. And yeah. okay. It's got to go. That's got to be tough. Like you write this story that you just feel like is great. And obviously it's been on your mind. It, yeah. It's been on your heart. And then to hear like, it's just not going to work. I mean, I don't know if I'd ever have thick enough skin to deal with that, but I mean, as I guess as a writer, <laughs> you have to, you have to have it. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think maybe, it would be different if that had been my baby and, and, you know, my one and only. Sure. Um, but I have a lot of book children. So mm -hmm. if one of them is going to, you know, be a boomerang kid who always stays at home and never gets out to the world. Well, there's a lot of other ones out there to, yeah. to distract me. That's not a good analogy. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, it, you know, I know in this writing group, there, there's people who a couple who have this one story and then they go on to one story where I have, I just have mm -hmm. so many floating around there. And yeah, you give me some more inputs and probably by the end of next week, I can come up with three more pretty easily for you. So mm -hmm. um, maybe that helps with that particular issue of, you know, yeah, that baby is just not going to get love outside of mm -hmm. my head. So <laughs> It's going to stay there. At what mm -hmm. point in your writing career did you realize your stories meant something to readers? We always love hearing like back when people used to write letters or like send you guys postcards and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I've i never had the, oh my goodness, your story changed my life. I've had mm -hmm. some feedback with, um, you know, I really enjoyed it and I'd like to read mm -hmm. more. I I don't know that I've really had that moment yet where somebody was just like, yeah, that, that really meant something to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe hockey stories back in 2018 weren't really doing it for people. I think even maybe just now when Bree's saying that, you know, she was a nice girl and just having a nice girl thing, it was like, okay, so there's yeah, helping somebody. Definitely. Um, I was going to say, well, yeah, me yeah. with Rachel, I loved it. <laughs> It was me. <laughs> yeah, like I, I just haven't felt like it's had a big impact. But honestly, if somebody just enjoys it and and it, it it's something that they felt worth the 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 few hours they spent reading it, then that's good. I'm I'm I mean I write romance and I read I'm I'm just not I, I'm not trying to solve world problems or whatever. I just kind of want a, a nice mm -hmm. fun escape. Yep. that you could enjoy yeah. for a bit. Absolutely. 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? 
hope you liked it. I, guess. I don't know. I, I, I had a I thought of a good answer for this like last night and now it's gone again. Um I'm not sure I'd ever write a memoir. I don't think it's that exciting. Oh, you know what? Here's what it is. Give it a try. Yep. I mean I, yeah. I'm here in the sofa. I gave it a try. I, I with the writing. I mean, I once yep. managed to run a marathon. I just gave it a try. I wow. when I finished school and I'm in, in Ontario and couldn't get a teaching job right away, I got a job offer in Manitoba. So I packed up the car and I went. And it doesn't hurt. Your to life sounds something. very exciting. Yeah, it it sounds go. very exciting. <laughs> just <Right>? exciting. <laughs> It doesn't feel You could literally but, do a travel okay. diary and I'd be like, oh, here we go to the bookstore. We have Seriously. to get it. <laughs> That's right. You didn't you didn't stop yourself from taking this, uh, you know, from or you did stop yourself from yeah. taking the safe yeah. path. You just yeah. threw it to the yeah. wind and said, we'll mm-hmm. just yeah. see where we land. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, even just with raising kids. My husband and I have a different philosophy. They'd ask something and he'd say, well, why should I say yes? And mine would always be, well, why would, why should mm-hmm. I say no? So it's like, if there's something out there, is there a good reason not to? If not, now, mind you, I'm not the most, advent- believe it or not, I'm not the most adventurous person. Mm-hmm. I'm not scuba diving. I have a phobia about underwater plants. I get water up my nose in the shower. Just, I have no desire to be under the water. So when my husband mm-hmm. was scuba diving, yeah, it was his hobby for a while. It's like, go yeah. off, have a good time. Tell me all about um, it. <laughs> I'm not totally adventurous. Yeah, tell me all about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's stuff I don't do. And, you know, uh, skydiving or kite surfing mm-hmm. or part of that is just, uh, um, I know my, I, I've got the spaz gene is strong in this one. So there's stuff I'm not going to try, but um <laughs> Other stuff, I will give a try if I know I'm, you know, not likely to break yeah. my neck or run into a piece of seaweed. There you go. Now and then, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Finish one book. There you go. <laughs> like somehow, you know, focus on one. Again, I have all these ideas. I have all these things I've started and... I, it took until that heartwarming blitz to actually finish a book. And I know sometimes that is a thing like, but it turns out that finishing a book is not really my problem. It's just knowing that I sh- this is the one that mm-hmm. I should finish mm-hmm. instead of some better one, you know, because I get the whole story written in my head. And, and since that first contract, I've had no problems finishing a book. It's just knowing which one to do so between contracts when i have all these ideas and i start this one and i start that one so yeah just pick one and finish it because then i might have got started earlier because i would have had a whole manuscript there's a whole lot i didn't know about writing even when i had the first book published like this whole querying agent stuff no idea mm-hmm. because i'd never yeah. finished a book so i have to ask before we wrap up here are there any cool places that you and your husband plan on going next or where you are currently? Are you planning to stay there for a while? We can only stay in Bonaire for 90 days as Canadians. So our plan is to go to Curacao and I actually have plane tickets to get home for the first time in more than 18 months. See family again, which will be awesome. And then we are heading North again, probably because of the sailing angle to Puerto Rico where we went when we, after we bought the boat in Panama, we, we went to Puerto Rico, uh, the Spanish virgins. We haven't been to the U S virgins and we may hit that before we get back in St. Martin. 
my husband has been doing some part-time yacht brokering and that's mostly based out of St. Martin. But what we had planned to do this spring and couldn't because of COVID. And so we're thinking of for next spring is to cross the Atlantic and spend a couple of years in the Mediterranean. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. that sound awesome? <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Europe. Um, wow. Oh, there's go there a, there's other a, awesome oh, your places. own sailboat. <laughs> yeah. Just to go across the Atlantic for one thing, you know? <laughs> well, when we started this adventure, um, I had the... I was able to opt out of the crossings and I did not do my husband. We took the boat down to Virginia and my husband, two of his buddies then took it. Uh, they were heading for Antigua, ended up going Bermuda and then St. Martin. And it turned out to be a good thing because it, it was not a good boat for that crossing. And my husband knows that if I'd been on board, as soon as we hit Bermuda, I'd have been done sailing for good. <laughs> I also flew home and was sick for two days. So I'd have been that on top of it. But I did the, the, the first big crossing I did was, from Panama to Puerto Rico, and it was freakishly calm. I have pictures that you would not believe how flat the water is. Um, but that was nine days learning to, you know, do watches and, you know, you're stuck on the boat, though we did stop and swim because it was so calm. Not my favorite thing. I prefer a straight eight hours, but can do it. Um, if we go to Europe, we'll have crew with us. We had crew coming from Panama. There were four of us on the boat. But, uh, you know, so... But that's how you get there, and then you have your house with you and go yeah. wherever you want. Yeah. Well, please keep us posted Amazing. and take tons of Anyways, take tons and... of pictures if you make it yes. to the Mediterranean. Oh, yes. Please. <laughs> yes, I will. Um, one thing it'll be then when we, we do a crossing, like we have no internet except a bit of, of cell course. that we just use to get weather reports and stuff because mm -hmm. it's expensive. So uh, even just the two and a half days coming down from St. Martin. It's like, I have no idea what's yeah. happening in the world. Wow, you are, you are <laughs> so <laughs> unplugged. <laughs> yeah, legitimately. Yeah. When you do that, um, here we have, like, we just got a, a little better uh, data card so that, you know, we could do this video without it cutting out because all our internet comes from our phones. We obviously have no way to have a permanent in internet installation. Uh, but, yeah, when you're doing a crossing. Wow. Yep. Uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm imagining and, at and night, I, like you are in, aside from the beautiful stars that you actually get to see, because you don't have city lights, like oh. trashing it. But like, I imagine um, you're in like the pitch dark when y'all are crossing. Yeah. And it's We prefer to sail when there's some moonlight because, um, you know, the, the, you can see that it, there are sometimes things that float in the water, like uh, containers or utility poles or whales <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> you can run into but yeah you do you do really see the sky and yeah it, it is kind of an experience to be sort of in the middle of nowhere there's no land for a couple hundred miles um mm. it, it, even further than that if we, uh if you're out doing an ocean crossing and you know when everybody else is asleep on the boat and you're out there on your own except our dog always stays in the cockpit to keep company what a trooper and yeah it's it's <laughs> It's Amazing. Well, where can everyone follow you online? Yes, I have a uh, website, www.kimfindley.ca, because Canada. I'm on Facebook at Facebook and Instagram. One's author Kim Finley, one's Kim Finley author. Uh, fi Instagram has a whole lot of pictures, from, mostly from the dog walks, where you're going to see the plants and the flowers and the sunsets. And uh, there have been some really gorgeous ones. On Facebook, I try to keep posting, you know, with events about 
the books and on Twitter is sort of my home base. I'm at Miss Hayer 74 or Miss Hire 74. Uh, that's sort of where I, I keep up and get book recs and um, have Thank fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Aaron, thank you for hanging out with us today. Listeners, he will be back. We're going to kidnap him virtually as much as we can. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was so fun when he started reading my book and and it was just the back and forth and he's putting up these Yeah, I love his moods and and gifts. Yeah. (laughs) Following somebody reading my book, and uh, oh, oh, Mariah and Nelson are going to the same pub. That's why I wrote that. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. That was fully my intention. And I'm I'm so happy with how how it turned out because it was just a shot in the dark when I decided to start this whole thing. So I don't know if it would have continued had. It just been radio silence on Twitter. <laughs> it's so fun. It is so fun. So listeners, make sure you check the show notes. Links to all of mm-hmm. Kim Finley's social media will be listed below, as well as where you can find her books on Harlequin's website. Mm-hmm. We will also have links for you to keep mm-hmm. up with Aaron. Follow him on YouTube. The day that we mm-hmm. recorded this, he literally just posted a vlog. So keep up with his yes. my hashtag category journey. It's it's so much fun. So um Sarah and I will chat with you all in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody.